Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews, book reviews and some chat. How are you all? Are you okay? Well, we have an update. We have an update on the conquer situation. So you may remember a couple of weeks ago, I'd been advised by my mother to get a bowl full of conkers in a child's room to avoid these massive tarantula-like spiders. I followed her instructions and suffice to say, it didn't work. It turns out you're supposed to make a hole in each conker, which then releases something. And that's what keeps the spiders away. So for those of you who've been following this avidly, I mean, I don't know why, but anyway, yes, put holes in the conkers and there you go. I haven't tried it yet because the bowls of conkers that I had collected just were looking quite wizened and sad. And I just thought, no, it's not a good idea. Plus, I don't trust myself with the implement that I would need to make the hole. So there we go. But that's where we are today. Conkergate is uh, still alive and well. But what else is alive and well today are the book selections. I have got some absolute corkers for you today and I cannot wait. So let me get on to this. So we have got That Bone Setter Woman by Francis Quinn and Francis is coming on to tell us all about this wonderful book. Then we've got Your Word or Mine by Leah Middleton. We've got a, a sliver, I was going to say a silver of darkness, but it's a sliver. A Sliver of Darkness by CJ Tudor. Billy Summers by Stephen King. Payday by Celia Walden. And we've got Tior Monroe, who's coming back on to answer five questions in five minutes about her brilliant detective book, Breakneck Point. So we do have a lot to get on with today. Let's start. That Bone Setter Woman by Francis Quinn. Now, Francis came on, oh, last year, I'm thinking, with her first book, which was called The Smallest Man. And I should tell you that at the moment, for all of October, there's not much of it left, but for all of October, The Smallest Man is on a Kindle deal for 99 pence. So there you are. Anyway, this is her second book, That Bone Setter Woman. And yeah, look, you know me and history books. I'm just like, really, do I have to read a historical fiction book? I love this book so much. I was, there were actually a couple of nights when I was reading it where I got a bit angry with Francis because I didn't want to go to sleep. I just wanted to read this book and find out what happened to these people that I really cared about. So let me read you the blurb. Meet Endurance Proudfoot, clumsy as a cart horse, strong as an ox, with a tactless tongue and a face she's sure only a mother could love. Jury wants one thing in life 
to become a bone setter like her father, but he's adamant that bone setting is not a job for a woman. Strong-willed and stubborn, she's determined to change his mind, but her plans are thwarted when she's bundled off to London with her beautiful sister, whose attempts at social climbing have ended in disaster. Neither knows that they're embarking on an adventure that will see them win and lose fame and fortune. Inspired by the true stories of two of George and England's most famous celebrities, that bonesetter woman is an uplifting tale about finding the courage to go your own way when everyone says you can't and about realising that what makes you different can also make you strong. I love that word thwarted in that blurb. I like that. I intend to use that word again today somehow. Thwarted. There we are. Anyway, let's do first sentence. Well, you know me, I never stop at the first sentence, but the first few sentences. Chapter one. It's usual, they say, for a young person coming to London for the first time to arrive with a head full of dreams. Well, Endurance Proudfoot did not. When she stepped off the coach from Sussex on a warm and sticky afternoon in the summer of 1757, it never occurred to her that the city would be the place where she'd make her fortune. She was just very annoyed to be arriving there at all. Uh, love it. Loved it. Yes, loved it, loved it. Anyway, <laughs> I, think I've, I think I've given you a vague idea of what I thought about it. So let's go and talk to Francis now. So Francis Quinn, whose latest book is That Bonesetter Woman, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's really nice to be back again. This book, I mean, honestly, a wonderful, fabulous, fantastic book. Can you just sort of tell us the premise of it? You can explain it better than me. So it's the story, it's set in Georgian England, mainly in London, and it's the story of Endurance Proudfoot, who is kind of a quirky character. Endurance as a girl, has found she doesn't fit in anywhere. She's she's big and clumsy, and she's also clumsy socially. She always says the wrong thing. And one day she sees her dad at work. Her dad's a bone setter. And she suddenly realises, I could do this. You need to be strong for this. I, this is something I could do. And so the book is about endurance, trying to become uh, a bone setter, which is said to be a man's job, but endurance is not going to let that stop her. Tell me, how on earth did you get the idea for this book? Where did the little seed of inspiration come from for this? Well, so um, as you know, my, my first book, that's The Smallest Man, that was, um, I'd found a, a real historical character who wasn't very well known, and I based my fictional hero on him. So publishing likes the same but different. So my editor said, <laughs> oh, for your second book... Um, could you do the same thing again? Could you find like a little known historical character and base the story on a fictional version of them? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then panicked because <laughs> no you can't, yeah, you can't exactly Google little known historical character who would make a really good novel. So as I say, I panicked a bit and I did, I did Google around as you do. And I came across something called the Dictionary of National Biography which is a really quirky publication. It's been going for, I think, about 200 years. And it's just got little potted biographies of all kinds of people. And the only rationale that I can find, they have to be dead and they have to have lived in Britain and, and done something that's caught the attention of the editors of the publication. 
So a lot of them are famous. You know, you've got aristocracy, politicians, celebrities. But a lot of them are just people who have just done something interesting. So I thought, well, I'll have a look in there. And it's brilliant because you can search it with different parameters. So I knew I wanted to do 18th century. So I searched, and I wanted a woman character this time. So I searched for alive between 1700 and 1800 and woman. And I went down this rabbit hole of highway women, brothel keepers, um, actresses. And there I found a woman who was known as Crazy Sally Mapp. And she was a bone setter and she'd learned it from her dad and she became famous. And she had, a bit like um, Jeffrey Hudson, who inspired The Smallest Man, she had the most incredible life. And, I, and, and when I read that, I think there was something that she was... She was cross-eyed, she was clumsy, she had a really eccentric nature. And I thought, oh, okay, I think she's interesting. And then I read at the end of the entry that her sister was one of Georgian England's most famous actresses who was absolutely beautiful and had been a success on the stage, then hooked herself a duke and became his mistress. And then when his wife died, married him. And you just think, okay, what was that family dynamic like? And so then I was like, yeah, okay, these two will do. Yes, absolutely. And you must have got so many other potential characters for future books. Yeah, I was tempted by the highway women, I must admit. Yes. But but someone someone else, I think, has done that. So, And there were a few that I thought, oh, that would be great. And then you Google and find out someone else has already got that one. So, But Sally really engaged me from the start. Yes, and... It's not just getting these historical characters. It's it's what you do with them. Your writing for me is so vibrant and it's it's down to the characters. How long do you live in a character before you start writing about them? I probably once I've got the character, I start quite quickly, but then I probably haven't got them from the beginning. They they sort of unfold as I'm as I'm writing. And so for example, the first version of that bone setter woman that I set to my editor um endurance was a much more crotchety character she was much less vulnerable she was quite angry and because of that and because in the first version I was writing in first person it was it was more difficult to engage with her and you can't see that for yourself my editor saw it thank goodness and so yeah in the second version she's more vulnerable I think she's more engaging so yeah it takes I mean, that probably took me, that first draft probably took me a year and I hadn't got her by the end of that. So, yeah, sort of a gradual process, really. But you have to have the seed. And the seed for me of endurance was she's just really determined. Once she sees this thing and knows it's her thing, she's not going to give up. And I loved her name, this endurance shortened to Dury or Dury. I don't know how you you would want it pronounced. Dury, I say Dury, yeah. I just, if ever a name can summarise a character, Endurance Proudfoot, I just thought, fab. That one just floated around and then one day it just surfaced in my head and I thought that would be it. And then her surname, Proudfoot, we had an electrician working on our house and he had his name on the back of the T-shirt and the name was Clint Proudfoot. And I thought, oh, I'm happy with that. (laughs) <laughs> so do you book <laughs> tradesmen that only have interesting names so that <laughs> well I think I probably should now because Proudfoot was it was a great fun I didn't tell him because I thought you know, like he might want he might want a fee to license his name <laughs> but that's something so you write you write the book in the sort of first person with um with endurance being quite a crotchety character you send it off and the response is 
would require quite a radical overhaul of the book which I know it's not that's not just you a lot of authors go through that but Mm. that's a test of endurance to think I'm gonna do it it was really horrible yeah because I um I mean I think as you might remember I had I had quite a big write of the rewrite of the end of the smallest man but most of the rest of it was untouched Whereas this time, basically the notes came back and my editor later on summarised it as change everything. And it really was. She said, you know, she's, all the elements that I had, some of which were taken from Sally Mapp's life and some of them weren't. She said, they read as a series of short stories. You know, something happens and then it, it, that's resolved and you move on to something else. And that it's not hanging together as a book. And And as always with my editor, who's brilliant, as soon as she says it, I go, oh, God, she's right. And it was awful because at that point, if I'd had another idea, I would have said to her, look, can we just throw this in the bin because I don't think this is going to work. I really didn't think I could make the story work. I thought it didn't have legs. I thought it was a stupid idea. But I, luckily, perhaps, I didn't have another idea. So I thought I'm just going to have to make this work. And then you start pulling things around and move things. And sometimes it's just one thing. So there's one particular thread in the book um, when Endurance meets a man called Malachi. And originally that, as with Sally Mapp, that happened quite late in the story. So I pulled him forward and then things started to fit together a bit more. And then and then it, it comes, but it was it was a very intensive six months I had a couple of friends who were at the same stage with their second books and there were midnight WhatsApp chats going, you getting anywhere? No, nor am I. (laughs) And you hear about the curse of the second book. and Mm, Oh, I had the curse of the second book for sure. So were you right? Did you start writing it once The Smallest Man was published or? No, I think I had started. I was probably about halfway through that first I mean it's not the first draft because you never send the first draft to your agent to to your editor but that first version I was about halfway through and I thought it was going great you know when I sent it off I thought oh this is all right I'll probably get some edits but it's not terrible it's not as bad as the first one but you just don't know you can't see it for yourself and and I think now I've experienced that if it happens again I'll be okay this is the process because I I know it is the process for lots of people but it's still hard because it's like having your homework marked a lot of homework and then having to do your homework again I yeah the dedication that you have to writing you know there are a lot of people that just say no I'm not I can't do this yeah and I do think that's the really tricky thing for people who are trying to break into it and who are having to write their whole novel before they even get an agent that's the hard thing because you don't have that stage of making someone saying oh no this needs completely reworking if you're lucky you might have sort of beta reads to, readers to do that but it is hard I mean if I'd sent off the finished first version of the smallest man to agents cold I would not have got a deal for that book I was just very lucky that my agent picked me up at 30,000 words so we were already in a relationship so that's how hit and miss it can be Yes, yeah, but it. So to be a writer, you have got to have develop a thick skin. Absolutely, yeah. You really do have to, and you really have to. You know, you live for the flattery. You know the lovely things that you've said to me this morning, but at the same time, you have to take the bits that are critical. You just have to. You have to develop a thick skin for that, and you just. I think. I mean, obviously, you've got to be able to write. You've got to have a certain talent in you. 
but stickability is much more important than that. I know people with great talent who probably won't ever make it because they just can't push themselves to do that. And that's not a character flaw. It's just, you know, something you've either got or you haven't got. It's this word resilience. And I, I don't mm. have it. Um, I'll, I'll give up and think I can't do it. So it just shows you've you've got resilience. And thank goodness you have. Otherwise, we wouldn't sitting here to <laughs> it'd be very bad luck for me if I had to but did you have resilience earlier on in other not that I'm wishing yeah. to delve into you know personal details. yeah I've always I have yeah I've always I mean I remember when I was at school I wanted to be a journalist and there were like there were five of us at school that wanted to be journalists and I was the only one that stuck at it long enough you know and and applied for loads and loads of jobs until I got there and then, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I, I wanted to learn Swedish because originating from my love of ABBA. And that was really hard work. And it took 10 years to get to the point where Swedes don't answer me in English anymore. But I really, really wanted it. I can only do it with things I really, really want and I think I might have a chance of getting. So I probably wouldn't try to be a pole jumping champion. <laughs> I probably wouldn't stick at that because I know there's probably no chance... But yeah, as long as I've got the ingredients, if I really, really want the thing and there's a possibility I can get it, then yeah, I will stick at it. So was that something you were taught as a child? Was that, I don't know, how do you get that resilience? I think it's just luck, a bit like, um, you know, if you have an ear for music or it's just something, if you're very lucky, that I don't think we were taught that. I don't, we were taught, you know, to bounce back from things, to, you know, to bounce back from disappointment. So maybe it's, Partly that. Part of that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, I, I was wondering if any of the characters, we don't want to give anything away in the story, but did any of the characters stay with you once you'd finished and sort of mither you in your in your mind? I suppose not really in that, not in a troublesome sense, but endurance, I suppose. I never meant to put any of me in endurance, but I think you do especially early in your career, you've got a lot of yourself to get out. So I think there's probably, it, she's very close to my heart. But I also really love Lucinda and she's a bit of Marmite and she was really awful in the first version. Again, I had to make her a bit more sympathetic. But I like her because again, you know, she's nothing like me, but she does bounce back. She's She's got, you know, life has given her good looks and a sort of talent for acting basically and she's going to make the most of that and she might do that in ways that people around her don't find very attractive but you know I think at one point the the aunt said their aunt says you know when she gets pregnant she could have just stayed around moaning about you know this terrible fate but she doesn't she just goes for it she deals with the issues and then she moves on in life and she's a slightly heartless person but I kind of admire her as well there is quite a deep love between the two sisters. They really get on each other's nerves, but at the same time, they're always, they are actually there for each other when it's needed. So did you enjoy writing the goodies better or some of, there are some baddies as well in the book? Yeah, both really, both. I mean, baddies are a lot of fun to write. The, the tricky thing with a baddie is you can't make them too, too bad. So I think, you know, there is, there is one person who is very bad and I have, I hope showing the reader why he's like he is what or at least how he justifies it to himself and the same with Lucinda you know when Lucinda's bad she can justify it to herself and I've I've met a lot of people like that and I think yeah you just have to 
give them another slightly another dimension. I'm interested in how you approach writing a history book. Yes, it's fiction, but it's it's a history book because normally when I force myself to read a history book, I open it mm. and there's this list of characters and straight you're into technical stuff. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I have to yeah, the chocolate biscuits have to come out immediately and I think I need to make notes. But for your books, it I don't feel like I'm reading a history book, if that makes sense. So I just wondered how you manage that light touch. Yeah, I mean, someone asked me about this recently, and I suppose the thing is, I don't like that kind of historical fiction either. I don't want a book where I've got to make notes and think who was the cousin of this person and when did that happen and what country they were in. So I kind, I try to make it that the historical period is the background in the same way as if I set a story in New York. New York would be the background. So I try and tell the reader enough that they know what's going on, but I don't. I'm not going to describe every armchair when somebody walks into a room, or you know that awful thing when you get people saying character saying, "Well, of course, as the Duke of Bolton, you would know." I just I don't want <laughs> any of that stuff. So it's it was easier this time because I didn't have I didn't have a civil war to weave in, so that was much easier. So I just really had to get the period right and that's a lot more fun because you can be a bit more creative with that the tricky thing actually is when you've got things that perhaps seem modern but aren't and then you don't want the reader going well that seems wrong because the minute they've thought that they've jerked them out of the story so for example Mm -hmm. with the newspapers in the story it's quite important that you know this was a, a peak period for newspapers particularly in London they had dozens of them and and people read them and if you couldn't read, you could go to a pub and somebody would read it to you. And so I had to explain that sort of background without going, now we will have a little lecture about the importance of the press in Georgian society. So when you decided you wanted to write books, were you clasping your hand saying, I want to write historical books? No. Or was it just, I want to write good stories? Yeah, I, and I stumbled across the story of Geoffrey Hudson and thought I have to do something with this. And then my heart sank when I realised it was set against the Civil War, which I'd studied at school and hated. Um, so, yeah, it was it was that. I mean, I before I did that, I tried a psychological thriller. I tried a crime story, although that was also historical because I didn't feel I could really get into the mysteries of DNA. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't really that I set out to write historical. I found a good story and thought I'll go with this. So I would hope at some point, to maybe not get out of that niche permanently but I'd like to be able to do other things and I would never sort of just stick to one period I mean it makes it easier because you don't have to do the research every time but I think I get a bit bored with that and then you really do get into a niche it's like you know people who are not Mm. interested in that period are not going to read your book Yes, we don't want that. Okay, right, you've got some quick fire questions Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) First one, and this is for you rather than this specific book, but the first one relates to both books, I suppose. 1600s or 1700s? All 1700s every time. The Georgians are so much fun. (laughs) Day before publication day or the day after? Day before, I think. Yeah, it's fun. It's like waiting for your party. (laughs) <laughs> book title or book cover oh titles are really hard and I don't have to do the cover so I'm going for cover <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, this I'm interested in your response to this one. Lots of edits or no edits? Oh, God, I would love no edits, but I'm resigned to the fact that's never going to happen. And what I try and remember is it's someone helping me make the book better. It's not someone marking my homework, although that's what it feels like. I'm sure. A last quick fire question. Um, at the end of your book, do you put a final full stop or do you type the end? Full stop. I don't think anyone types the end. Some people do. And, and those do people they? say, surely everyone types the end. Yeah. But then a lot of, um, it seems most editors delete the end. So Exactly, yeah. So you might type it for fun, but it's not going to stay there. I don't know why. And it's, no, and it's not the end. You, you, that's the other thing. You never really know when the end is. Because when you send it off, you don't know if you're going to get some. Oh, there's some small things we'd like you to do. I don't know, as a reader, I'd like a book. Maybe it's just because I'm a traditionalist, I don't know, but I, I'd like a book to say the end. I think it would be nice, yeah, it's a nice touch. Bring it back, I'll start a, I'll start <laughs> a poll on that. So what's next? Because I love your writing now, I'm not just saying it, I do. Thank what you. What are you working on now? So I'm moving forward again in time. Um, my next book is set in Edwardian times, and it's the story of a young woman who becomes trapped in an aristocratic marriage. And as the marriage becomes more and more horrible for her, um, she has a child. Um, the family sail on a ship you might have heard of called the Titanic. And the events of that night lead her to take the chance to steal someone else's identity and start a new life in New York. But the past will catch up with her, as pasts always do. And how far into that epic are you? Well, I'm about halfway through the first draft, so we're actually on the Titanic at the moment. But, you know, as we've discussed, who knows, <laughs> this first draft may or may not <laughs> form very much of the final book. And have you got an idea of when it's going to be published, or is that...? It's scheduled to be published uh, spring 2024. Oh, gosh, so we've got a bit of a wait. Can you type faster? Yeah, it's a bit think? of a wait. I can type, but there's type, but it's uh, it's the writing <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> so with you've got two books published now, and I'm interested, once you've finished the, the writing part of it and you've sent it off and you've got your maybe your first edits back and you've dealt with that, mm. from that point to when it's published, what is your favourite part of of the publication process? Is it getting... That a proof in or seeing what covers they've come up with or actually the launch of it what what's your best um well I love seeing when the proof comes in because that's the first time you hold it in your hands and it feels like a real book and then you start sending it out to bloggers and reviewers like yourself and it's always a bit of a tense moment because you think oh god what if everybody hates it and then when you get the first nice reviews in, I mean, with that bone setter woman, I've been really lucky. Touch wood, I don't think I've had a bad review. And, you know, that's really nice. So, yeah, it's when you get, I suppose, when you hold it in your hands for the first time and then when you start getting the reaction to it. And the lovely thing is when people say, um, you know, you announce it, we've got a new one out. And then, oh, I can't, you know, I read the last one and I really liked it. I couldn't wait for the next one. I mean, you can't put a price on that. That's amazing. People saying, I'm waiting for your next book. So, yeah. And especially, you know, for me, as you know, I came quite late to this game. I think I was 57 or something when The Smallest Man was published. So to have this all begin now 
and feel like, you know, I have a contract for two more. I'm in this game now and hopefully I'm going to stay in it. Yeah, it's a really great feeling. And it's fair to say you've been doing a bit of a tour of bookshops. Um, how, how's that gone? Can you yes. can you look at cake anymore? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> so I did a tour with my mate Matson Taylor of the Miseducation of Evie Epworth <laughs> fame. Um, Matson is such amazing company. He's such fun. So we did um, we did a little tour of East Anglia and then we came down to where I live in Brighton and we did a bit of a South Coast and Sussex tour. And we met lovely booksellers and we met some readers and we signed loads of books and we ate a lot of cake. And yeah, it was brilliant fun. So we're hoping to do that again, um, perhaps a bit later in the year, maybe sort of West Country, Bristol and Bath direction or possibly up north, possibly Scotland. We haven't decided yet, but we will get in his little car and drive around and yeah it was it was really good fun and it's funny because our books are very different in a way you know he writes about the 1960s and 1970s but we have a big crossover of readership and mm. I think that's because they feel they're very feel good they're very warm-hearted books so they have the same spirit in a way yes and they're character-led books exactly yeah yeah. And I I hear there was a bit of a playlist going as well in the in the car. There's playlists, yeah. We have had quite a lot of ABBA going on in the car. Luckily, Matson is an ABBA fan. Not I mean he's not on my level, but we're working on it. <laughs> Work in progress. Uh, so if you do have a day when the words aren't coming as easily as you'd like them to, is there something that you do to deal with that do you have a break go for a walk light a candle have a coffee have some cake um sometimes what I find is to do something a bit mindless like you know clean out a kitchen cupboard or something like that can can kind of you know make it come to you but really I just have to sit there I, I think I may have used this anecdote before but it comes from something Benny from ABBA said um, and he has always, since ABBA was over, I mean, I have an ABBA anecdote for any situation, you probably know that. Um, and he he has made music ever since ABBA was over and long before this current, you know, reunion or whatever you would want to call it. He literally goes to his studio nine to five, Monday to Friday, and he makes music. And he said, some days nothing comes and you just have to sit there till it does come. And he likens it to waiting for a dragon to come out of a cage. He said, There'll be many days you sit outside the cave and you don't see the dragon. But if you don't sit outside the cave, you won't be outside the cave when the dragon comes out. And that's exactly what it's like. You do have mornings where nothing comes or one you type one sentence knowing you're going to delete it the next day. But I think for me, I have to stay at the desk, keep thinking, keep typing, and eventually that block will break. And I think it is just your mind just kind of has to get that clog out of the way and then something comes it's just it's horrible I'm not going to lie it's really awful because you do think maybe this is the time it doesn't unblock and nothing comes but after a while you know, you know I've been here before it'll come but it is horrible really horrible oh wise words well, last question if you could go back to when you were sitting down to write your first book uh, The Smallest Man what would you whisper to yourself uh it's worth it keep going because I didn't know I really <laughs> didn't know many times I thought this book is never going to see the light of day you know not even just thinking it, you know the chances of getting published are slim we know that but just thinking I can't tell this story I don't know how to do it because I had 
you know, a lot of real life events to work in and they, they didn't always didn't always happen when I wanted them to happen. And I did think, I don't know if this story is ever going to work because I thought ever can finish it. But I just had had that lucky break of my agent taking me on at quite an early stage. And, you know, you don't chuck an opportunity like that in the bin. But before, when I did the Curtis Brown course, just before my agent took me on, I remember I had to have an idea for a book to get on the course. So The Smallest Man was the idea. And I remember walking into a session one night and a colleague on the course said, oh, how's it going? I said, it's terrible. So we're going to, I'm going to get to the end of this course. I'm going to chuck it in the bin and start something else. So, yeah, I, that's what I would say to myself. Don't yeah. chuck this in the bin. Yes. Don't do it. Don't do it. Keep <laughs> writing. It'll, it'll all be worth it. Well, it's definitely worth it for us as readers. So Francis Quinn, whose latest book is That Bonesetter Woman. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So let's get on to the five questions in five minutes. And today it's with T. Or Munro, author of Breakneck Point. She very kindly came on earlier this year to go into more detail about the book. And I loved it. It was a really good detective story and first in a series because out next year, I think May time, will be the follow on to that Slaughterhouse Farm. So it's a good time to get into the first one, Breakneck Point. So let's go to her now. So T. Orr Munro, author of Breakneck Point, welcome to the five in five section. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. First question. Can you summarise your book in 30 seconds? Right. Well, Breakneck Point is about a CSI called Ali Diamond and it opens at a murder trial during which she sensationally blows the lid on police corruption, the result of which is that she is dispatched to work in a very quiet corner of Devon on minor crimes. That all changes when uh, the body of a young girl is discovered on a local quayside and Ali Diamond is thrust straight back into frontline crime scene investigation, although this time the killer is a little bit closer than she would like. Oh, but I've read the book and it makes me think I will read it again. (laughs) That's great. Next question. Which is your favourite character in the book? And it can't be your main character, Ali. Um, It it has to be the antagonist. It's a dual narrative. We do know who the killer is fairly early on. I should make that clear. And he is just so, so awful. And his awfulness in addition to the fact he is a killer, was just um, fun to write. And I don't know what that says about me, Philippa, but <laughs> I would say he was enormous fun to write. <laughs> it says nothing. That's all good. You're, <laughs> you're among friends. Um, can you describe your book in three words? Pacey, dark, different. Yes. Excellent. 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 What was your favourite drink and food when you were writing this book? I'm a big black coffee drinker. Yes. <laughs> so it Light would be I'm a, <laughs> it would be black coffee. And and I am a voracious eater of Greek yogurt. <laughs> that sounds very healthy. Oh my goodness. You weren't expecting that, were no. you? So yes, combination black yes, I do. That is my go-to snack. Greek yogurt and fruit notes. But how how are you eating your Greek yogurt while you're typing? That seems quite um, uh, well, a challenge. You don't want to see my keyboard, <laughs> Philippa. You really don't want to see my keyboard. <laughs> uh, the last question: What's been the best moment so far in your writing career? Uh, it honestly has to be the moment I heard that a publisher wanted my book. It really is. It, 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 there was no feeling like it, and I can still remember it to this day. And um, there genuinely was lots of jumping up and down and screaming and shouting because you just never ever expect it. You you don't expect anything actually in this game, you because you can't. And so you kind of always think it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because you know it hasn't happened. And I've failed so many many times in my life that when it did happen, um, it was a tremendous feeling. Wow. Well, that is wonderful. So T. Almonro, author of Breakneck Point, thank you for joining. Thank me. you very much. Let's head into the book reviews. So the first one I want to tell you about is Your Word or Mine by Leah Middleton. And I was just I was just at a supermarket getting some food and happened across the book section. You know, don't know why. And saw this book. And on the front, um, it said jaw dropping, tense, clever and several huge twists. And when I turned it over, there was mention that there was going to be a court case. And I was in. Your girl was in immediately. So I didn't get all the food that I intended and got the book. Anyway, listen to the blurb on this one. Ava Knight, a brilliant young prosecutor, always follows the rules until she meets Lily Hawthorne, a troubled 15-year-old accused of stabbing charismatic hotel tycoon Michael Osborne in cold blood. 
From the outside, it seems a tragic, hopeless case, but Ava suspects something no one else does. Michael Osborne is lying. Because 18 years ago, Ava was assaulted. She identified her attacker, the case went to trial, but the jury let him go. His name? Michael Osborne. Back then, it was Michael's word against Ava's. Now another girl's future hangs in the balance. How far will Ava go to be believed? So let's read the first few sentences. We both watch as the jury file in. They each take up their places, just as they have for the past ten days. But something in their faces has changed. They've made a decision. Do they believe him or me? My eyes flash to the dock. He is pristine as always, his suit pressed, his dark brown hair slicked to one side, his face cleanly shaved. Annabelle, don't look at him, Mum whispers. My body jolts at her voice, a gunshot in the quiet courtroom. I enjoyed this book. I don't know why I hadn't heard of this book before. Um being at the supermarket, but I'm really glad I read it. I thought it was convincing. I liked the sort of the the thrilling edge to it. You didn't know how it was going to work out. And obviously you're rooting for some people and then stuff gets thrown at them to deal with. And I, I, yeah, I thought it was very good. So that's your word or mine, Leah Middleton. I'm trying to pile the books up on the side. I'm just worried we're going to have a another Philippa book avalanche, but hopefully not. So the next one, A Sliver of Darkness by C.J. Tudor. Now, C.J. Tudor is much loved on this podcast. Her books are great. They're always... They're as dark as I can go in terms of how scared I get because your girl is easily scared, it's fair to say. And we had C.J. Tudor on earlier on this year, not that long ago, actually, answering five questions in five minutes. And she's coming on next year with her latest book. But then when I was talking to her, I heard that she'd got another book coming out and I had to get hold of it. It is a collection of short stories and I'm not normally a short story fan, but I thought, well, I love her writing. So this is a good test for me. Um, so a sliver of darkness, 11 twisted tales of the macabre. Let's let's read the blurb for you. Join a group of survivors who wash up on a deserted island only to make a horrifying discovery. Meet a cold hearted killer who befriends a strange young girl at a motorway service station. Travel along eerie country lanes in a world gone dark. Enter a block of flats with the most monstrous of occupants and accompany a ruthless estate agent on a house sale that goes apocalyptically wrong. I do have trouble reading that word. I don't know why. Apocalyptically wrong. It goes wrong. Yes. I love, I enjoyed these books. What I loved about them is with each short story, there's a little introduction by CJ Tudor just telling us what the background was, what triggered the that particular story being written. And I, certainly for me and my easily scared barometer, I wouldn't want the stories to have gone any more than they did. And some of them troubled me more than others. They are great stories. And the part of me thinks, oh, I wish this was a whole book. And that's what made me remember that I sometimes struggle with short stories because I love to really immerse myself in the characters and in the stories and have a whole book. Trust me, I'm fine with these short stories. I don't want any more time with these situations because I got scared. But I wasn't so scared that I couldn't read it. So honestly, everyone else, I think... 
you know, my children are less scared than me about things. They watch all sorts of zombie stuff, whereas I can't. So this is just me overreacting as I do. But shall I read you the first sentence? I'm not going to read the introduction. I'm going to read the first sentence of the first short story. Oh, well, hang on. No, there's... um. Here we go. So I'm going to read you the first few sentences of the first story, which is called End of the Liner. I think this was one of my favourites, actually. Uh, yeah, loved it. Here we go. She often dreamed of drowning. In the empty hours between midnight and dawn, she lay in her narrow bunk and imagined the waves taking her. It would be cold. And if she was lucky, the freezing temperatures would claim her before the dark water invaded her mouth and lungs. Or, if she was even luckier, perhaps a sea god would be merciful. This, I mean, this short story alone is wonderful. It's dystopian. It's got an edge to it. It had me hooked immediately. Yeah, I think, was that my favourite? I don't know. Just each story is different and yet compelling. Yes, if you are a fan of the... This isn't horror. This isn't scary. It's just... But if you like things that aren't Disney... <laughs> I'm I'm a Disney girl, so this does trouble me, but I enjoyed it. What am I waffling to say? If you like short stories, if you like stories with a bit of an edge to them, you will love this. And if you're a huge CJ Tudor fan, as most of us are... And you're waiting desperately for her next book, The Drift, to come out next year. This this will keep you satisfied for a while. So, yes, very good. On to the next one, Stephen King, Billy Summers. Now, what to say about this book? This was my first full Stephen King. I was like, come on, Philippa. This was during the summer when, for some reason, I thought I could read horror. And I was like, right, we're going to get a Stephen King book and we're going to read it and you're going to be fine. And you're going to develop a love of Stephen King books. And I can't... Well, it wasn't what I was expecting. I... It was well written. It was sharp. No words were wasted in this. There's a lot of still, a lot of a story in it. It's fierce and it's gentle. It's full on and yet it's humble. I, it's certainly I would read more of his books. It wasn't a quick read. the The text is very small. They've gone for a small font. So how many pages? Four hundred and thirty odd pages. You know, I think if you'd used a font that some other books use you'd be into the five six hundreds so don't think it's going to be one you zoom through it's one you spend some time with anyway let's read the blurb billy summers is a killer for hire he's among the best snipers in the world a decorated iraq war vet who can blend into any neighborhood and disappear after the shot is taken but he'll only agree to a contract if the target is truly a bad guy now Billy wants out, but first he's offered one final job, an offer which is just too big to refuse. As the days count down to the hit, Billy senses something is wrong. He doesn't yet know just how wrong, or about the woman who will help him try to set things right. Uh, let's go to the first sentence. Chapter one. Billy Summers sits in the hotel lobby waiting for his ride. It's Friday noon. And that actually, I'm going to leave it there because it goes straight in. Those are two sentences, would you believe? As I said earlier, no word is wasted. But if someone had given me this and covered the, the name of the author up, I wouldn't have said it was a Stephen King book. It was not what I imagined. 
But so many crime writers talk about Stephen King and his his ability to write so well. And I see now what they mean. It is a great story. It just takes time to read it. And it's not what I expected from Stephen King. Does it mean I would read more of his? Yes. But I have found that as autumn has gone on, my ability to tolerate scary things has decreased immensely. And therefore, I won't be picking one up until summer months. Don't know why. That's just me. Anyway, last book. Here we go. Payday, Celia Walden. This was another one of the Richard and Judy selection, which is why I got hold of it. I hadn't heard of it uh, otherwise, and uh, but it was on the list. So I was like, right, we're, we're going to read this. Here we go. Late one night, three women share secrets. They barely know each other, but they all know Jamie Lawrence. They know what he's guilty of. They agree something must be done. But as their plan spirals out of control, they begin to doubt themselves and each other. Then Jamie is found dead. Suddenly, everything is at stake. All lives are unravelled and truths exposed. Two urgent questions emerge. Who is really guilty and who will have to pay? Uh, right, let's do chapter one. Oh, do I do the prologue? No, I'm going to do chapter one. Jill. Thursday, 5th of August. Pick up, pick up, pick up. Sitting in her driveway in a blouse, work skirt and fleece-lined slippers, Jill stared at the single letter on her iPhone screen. A. The initial felt like an admission of guilt. As her employee, it would have been natural for Alex to figure in her scroll of contacts, professional and personal. Only nothing about Jill's connection to A was legitimate, let alone justifiable. And as of half an hour ago... She had everything to hide. I enjoyed the book. I thought it was good. I woke up on the morning of the day I was going to finish the, this book. I knew I was going to finish it. And I said to myself, oh, my goodness, I've worked out who did it and why and all of that. And this is outrageous, blah, blah, blah. I was wrong again. So I didn't guess it. I thought it was good. And actually, I have to say that at the back of the book, there are four questions for you to ask if you're reading it as a book group. And sometimes I find those questions really patronising. Um, they're cropping up in more and more books. And you just think, oh, either they're really twee ones or they're expecting you to do a degree in English and write your dissertation about the book. Do you know what I mean? Whereas these four, I just thought, oh, yeah, I... I quite like those. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm mentioning it, but there were four questions at the back and I thought they were good. It's it's a it's a good read. Um if you if you like the sound of that and you're sort of into a thriller. Is it is it a psychological thriller? No, is it a crime thriller? Yeah, it, it's a thriller. It's worth checking out. So there we go. I've waffled. Have I given you any ideas? I think I have. We've had Francis Quinn on, who's talked about that bone setter woman. And I loved that book so much. Then we also had Tior Monroe on, answering five questions in five minutes about Breakneck Point. I've also reviewed Your Word or Mine by Leah Middleton. A Sliver of Darkness by CJ Tudor. Billy Summers by Stephen King. And Payday by Celia Walden. You've got some books to choose from. Hopefully there are some there that have whetted your appetite and just look forward to hearing from you about what you've loved. Now, before we go, we must look at what the lovely Facebook group have been reading. If you are on Facebook, do search for the Quick Book Reviews podcast 
and join us there. You'd be ever so welcome. At the time I was reading Payday and I was uh, asking what other people in the group were reading, Natalie was reading The Extraordinary Life of Sam Hell. She was only about a quarter of a way in, but she thought it was so very good. Claire was finishing The Mad Woman's Ball by Victoria Mass. Um, Margaret was currently reading Little Wing by Freya North. Sue was reading uh, Wintering by Stephen Rutt. Rob was hoping to get a copy of the Alan Rickman Diaries. Lisa had just finished American Dirt. Uh, Julie was reading More Than a Woman by Caitlin Moran. Found it very relatable and funny. Uh, Leslie was just about to start Bleeding Heart Yard by Ellie Griffiths. More of that book next week. Elaine was had just started uh, Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. Johan's reading The House at Baker Street by Michelle Birkby. Deb is still reading Ordinary Monsters by J.M. Myro. Still really loving it, but it's a huge book for <laughs> to read. Nick's reading 44 Scotland Street by Alexander McCall-Smith. Derek's reading or listening to Bleeding Heart Yard by Ellie Griffiths. That's the second one there. And he said it was superb. And Cindy is reading A Man Called Ove. So there you go. That's, that's a lot. I need to send you on your way because we've got some great books next week. Great authors. Can't wait. Just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.